Father, we come to you again prior to digging into your word and asking, O Lord, that you will use your word today to build us up. Lord, we are needy people. We are in the flesh. We deal with with sin. We deal with pains. We deal with sickness. We deal with all the things that everyone deals with. But Lord, we just pray that through our relationship with you, that we can deal with it in a way that brings joy of Christ about ourselves and around uh, to those who know us, Lord. Help us to be men and women who, who are joyful in our day-to-day circumstances because of you and what you've done for us. We pray that you be honored today. In Jesus' name, amen. couple things I, I wanted to point out before I actually got started that wasn't uh, in the announcements. Uh, we are doing the updates on the directory, and we're taking photos for the Sundays this week. Um, our usual photo takers are not here today. Right after church, I will run to my house, which is just up the road, and get my camera. So if you came prepared to get photos for the directory, uh, give me a couple minutes, and I'll run down and get my camera, and we'll take care of that. And... Uh, I appreciate uh, those who have already looked at the directory out on the table here to make sure that the information was correct at the end of the month. Whatever is on there, we're going to assume is correct. If, if we haven't seen you in a while, we'll seek you out and make sure, but otherwise we'll assume you've taken a look at it. But mo- uh, It looks like most people have done that. I, I have background. Did you turn the monitor off? No? Okay. And the other thing that uh, Bob mentioned today that I did not realize yet is, uh, uh, as you know, we do the Generations of Grace. Today's lesson is on Leviticus 19, and uh, the title is God Requires Holy Living. And in there, if you have children, especially in the children's church, they're going over the lesson and going over some of the questions and the, and the things that are in that lesson on God is holy and wants believers to live holy lives. And there are some aids here for you as a family for this next week to be able to use to go over with your children, reading a passage with them, going over some different questions and, and some items to practice to help to, uh, to instill the lesson into your uh, child or grandchild's uh, life. So we hope that you're uh, using that from week to week, but especially I think after today's sermon, you'll see why we thought that was fitting that we or doing Leviticus 19 in Children's Church. I'd like to speak to you today from a passage in Colossians, the third chapter. If you'd like to start turning to that, I'll uh, talk for a moment. I've been thinking on this passage for a bit of time, especially as it pertains to my life. And I pray that when you leave today, that if you haven't already been contemplating this issue yourself, that you will. That will be something you start looking at and asking God to point out in your life if maybe there's things that maybe you need to do different. The New Testament writings have a lot of exhortations, especially in Paul's letters, concerning our walk. And the way I would like to, to define that today is our Christian life as it is displayed to the world. That may not be all it encompasses, but that's 
kind of what I see um, this particular message as, as kind of defining that as. This was of great concern to Paul for the first century Christians, and I think it's just as important today for the 21st century Christians. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In Philippians 1, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, We exhort each of you and encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And in Colossians chapter 1, he says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. So why was this an issue in the first century church? And why is it an issue for today? Well, we know that God, the Holy Spirit, gave us these scriptures and everything that was written in it was, was truth and what exactly He wanted written and that even though it was to a particular people at a particular time, that is just as valid for us today. It's our rule of life. It's our lamp, just as it was the first century Christians. So why is this issue that Paul seems to be concerned about in these letters something that we ought to be concerned about? I think in many ways the root problems of society in our century are similar to what they dealt with in the first century. Maybe different modes that it's, it's expressed, different things that we have that they didn't have. But the root, I think, is the same. In fact, many of these things will go all the way back to the fall of man. I mean, we see almost immediately after... Adam and Eve are put outside of the garden and we start seeing more people on the earth. They immediately start dealing with sin. And sins that you would think we would be dealing with today. And we do. They dealt with immorality and impurity, idolatry, etc., just as we do. And even Christians, which is what Paul is getting at with these letters, face these sins on a daily basis. You may not fall into the sin, but you're probably tempted in many ways for many of these sins in a given day. Christians should understand that even though we're saved, because we live in a fallen body, in a fallen world, that we're not perfect yet. That is to come. But because of the work of Christ that Ted taught on briefly last Sunday, things are different for us than someone who's not saved. Christ's death on the cross and the resurrection accomplished much. And believers need to understand what that is that it accomplished. And how do we live in this fallen body and fallen world and still please God? 
I think Paul addresses this in this chapter of Colossians to some extent. We are to set, and you'll see this in the text as we go through it, but we are to set our hearts on heavenly things, put to death sinful worldly practices, and clothe ourselves with Christ's virtues. That's what we'll deal with in this section of chapter 3. Paul and Timothy wrote the letter to the church in Colossae to address some of these questions, especially pertaining to circumstances and situations that they were specifically dealing with. The church in Colossae was commended by Paul for their faith and love for each other that was heard of not only in the area around Colossae, but Paul heard about it in Rome. The church there was not perfect. Paul was writing to address heresies that had been taught in the area, as he frequently had to deal with in other letters that he wrote. But he also wrote to encourage believers into spiritual maturity. And that's where we should be headed. And if anything, that is what I'm hoping to speak on today. Spiritual maturity. For those who come from a a more reformed background, what does the Westminster Catechism say is the chief end of man? Anyone remember? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's, that's what we're here for. Do you ever think of that when you wake up in the morning and wonder when you're getting ready to go to work, how am I going to glorify God and enjoy Him today? If that's our chief goal, if that's the chief reason we're here, how often do we set in purpose in our mind in the morning to accomplish it? I know to my shame, most of the time I get up and I'm already looking at my calendar as far as what I'm needing to get accomplished that day and setting those goals. And I would imagine that's how most of us deal with the morning. Does your life example this at any time during a particular day? Does my life example this? Or maybe another way to ask this question is, are you content in your Christian walk? That's only a question you can answer for yourself between you and God because a lot of times we we don't know what you're doing from day to day and a lot of times your own spouse or your own family members may not know exactly what you're doing because you're not with them. But you surely should be able to look and see how you did. Do you ever think that in your life things are going pretty good? I made it through this day or I made it through this week. And I really didn't do anything too bad. Maybe even pat yourself on the back.
Maybe I've already mastered the, the, that particular sin I've been dealing with for a while. I finally got it. But then a period of time passes and one day you give in to that sin again. Or maybe you've been struggling with the same sin over and over and just never seem to be gaining mastery over it. Never seem to get it under control. And these failures, these sins, are robbing you of your joy and delight in Christ. So they need to be dealt with. When you are living in a way such as Paul is talking about and calling us to in these letters, in a way that's worthy of the manner of the gospel and worthy of the manner of our calling, when you are doing that, you will have the most enjoyment in Christ that you will have here on earth. It will be greater in heaven, but that's when you'll be happiest. That's when you'll be most joyful. Not that you won't be dealing with health problems still or financial problems or all the other struggles we deal with from day to day. But it won't matter because we'll be still joyful in Christ and enjoying and delighting in Him. One of the greatest pleasures of our our salvation is having the joy that Christ brings into our life. If anyone in the world today, regardless of your circumstances, if you're a Christian, you should have joy. Enjoying Him forever. So how do I deal with that sin that keeps me from experiencing the joy that we have available to us as Christians? How do I live in a manner that is pleasing to God? Let's see what Paul has to say in Colossians 3, starting in the first verse. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. As a believer, you are raised with Christ. Paul addresses this in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We won't be going over that, but you can look back at it. So as some Bible translations, maybe one you have, begins verse 1 of chapter 3 with the word therefore. Uh, The ESV has changed that, but I know NIV, I think, still uses it. Therefore, which means if what was discussed before, in this case, chapter 2, that we were raised as Christians with Christ. If what was discussed before is true, then Christians have not only died with Christ, but we have also been raised with Him. What a beautiful picture we get from baptism. The old flesh dying and being buried in the water and rising up to new life. That's what's so grand about a baptism service, is just seeing the symbolism that's there and what what it's giving us a picture of. If you are raised with Christ, 
then your life should be dominated by the pattern of heaven. Where do we get that? It's been given to us. One commentary said, bringing heavenly direction to earthly desires. Really like that. Heavenly direction to earthly desires. Because we have earthly desires. We have things in this world that we desire. But how do we put a heavenly perspective on it? How do we bring God into that? Paul says here, to keep seeking in order to find. That's, that's the word in the sense of the word here, to seek. Seek the things that are above. You're striving for it. It's, it's effort. It's something you're determined to do. It's not something you just kind of are walking down the road and look in a store and you just say, oh, I think I'll just walk in here and look around. But it's, you're going to the store to find something, especially if you're a guy. You get in, you get it, and you get out. In this case, you're striving for it and you're trying to get it. But you're, you're putting the effort into it. You've got focus to it. But strive for the things that are above. For that is where our Christ is. At the right hand of the Father, we're told here. Verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. The Greek word that is translated set here is used to mean be intent on, to strive for earnestly. The same thing we were just talking about. Seeking and set. It's it's a determination. We are to concentrate our concerns with the eternal, not the temporal things. It's only been in the later part of life where this has been making more sense to me. Maybe because the the internal is becoming more important probably because I am just getting closer and closer to it as some of us are. But when I was younger, I didn't seem to, well, it was in the back of my mind. I, I didn't quite have the same focus, I guess, as, as I have on it now. I actually realized life is short. But how much time did I waste seeking and chasing after things here on earth that have no eternal value? How much time is wasted in the church with all the different people who make make it up chasing those same things? Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. At the moment of salvation, a Christian died to the evil of the flesh and his life is now hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden here implies not only concealment that we would typically think of as something that's hidden, but also safety. A believer is not glorified yet, but he or she is secure 
and safe in Christ. Christians are to live on earth based on their identity with the resurrected Christ in heaven. I've said it before and I say it again. Remember whose child you are when you go out in the world. We need to live today as the ambassadors of Christ, as 2 Corinthians 5.20 calls us to do. We represent him here in this life. When people see us, they should be seeing the one we represent. We need to do better. I need to do better. And when that time of perfection comes in the future, His beloved will appear with Him in glory. And may we be in the number that He looks at and says, Well done. Paul then exhorts the Colossian church in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He says to consider yourself dead to earthly things. In the Greek tense here, it's, it's a decisive action. Again, it's something you're making a determination to do. You're having to put something off. Put something to death. This, com- this is a command. And he's saying do it now. Do it resolutely. Do it with purpose. Finish it off. Get done with this. Don't play with it. God has already freed us from sin from the death, with the death and resurrection of Christ. And a believer is to know this and count it to be true and act accordingly. As a believer, you're able to deal with sins and temptations that come your way and the power and strength that God has given us. He's freed us from sin. Not from being able to do it, but to be able to fight against it and resist it. Romans 6, 5-14 through 14 tells us that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As a Christian, you are not subject to the control of sin as we were when we were unbelievers. So a believer must consider himself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So we are to put to death sinful worldly practices. Put away the old life. Those are things you did when you were lost. Put those away. You're not bound to them anymore. Put away the old life which springs from your earthly fallen nature. Christians should not live as they formerly did because they are new creations in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5. Paul then provides a list here in chapter 3 from verses 6 to 9. There are similar lists in the New Testament writings such as these. One in Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Galatians 5, Ephesians 5. There's a number of these lists that are similar or uh, maybe slightly different, but similar type of emphasis on it. 
These are activities flowing from man's sinful nature. These are things that are, as a, as a lost person especially, but a person in the flesh, they're within us. These are things we are able to do if we don't control them. Things that if you find yourself, the things that if you find yourself involved in or continuing to have a problem with, you need to repent of. You need to turn away from them. You've been freed from them and need to continually fight against committing them. Remember the emphasis that he's, he's talking about, that command, that, that decisive action. It's constantly striving, constantly focusing and dealing with. Put them to death. Don't let them rob you of your joy in Christ by giving in to them. And what are these activities? The first one he lists, some translation says immorality, others say sexual immorality. This is the Greek word pornea. It's a general term for sexual sin. And it would include any sexual activity outside of marriage, the marriage covenant, and any sexual behavior forbidden by, by scriptures. That's what sexual morality is. It includes fornication and adultery and pornography and lesbianism, homosexuality, bisexuality, bestiality, incest, all the different things that are outside of the marriage covenant and are forbidden by scriptures. If you're doing them, you're sinning. You're committing sexual immorality. And we're not going to be able to get away with using the, the creative definitions that some of our politicians in the past have done with redefining words. That doesn't work. The next word is impurity. The Greek word used here literally means not clean. And it's a broader category than immorality as it refers to anything that is not morally clean. So you're not to be doing sexual immorality, but you're not to be doing anything that is morally unclean. Passion. It's lust, an uncontrollable passion. We need to be careful not to just think of this in a sexual way because you can lust after other things than things that are sexual. Wealth, another person's property, etc. You shouldn't be doing that. Evil desires, illicit cravings, strong desire for what is morally evil. Covetous, which is a greedy desire to have more. You're not content in your circumstances. You want more of whatever it is. But you need to be careful with that. Why? He goes on to say because it's, that's idolatry. Because it seeks satisfaction in things below and not above. Believers are to put to death these sinful worldly practices. Because of these evils, God's wrath 
will come, according to verse 6. But God's wrath will come upon the sons of disobedience. But the wrath of God is not only coming in the future, but in this text, it's actually rendered here in the present tense. It, it comes. God's wrath has already begun. As we can understand from passages such as John 3.36 and Romans 1.18-32. The wrath of God is already upon man here on earth. Paul reminds the Colossian Christians that this was how they formerly lived. This is what should be in the past. This is what people should maybe look back and go, wow, you are not the same person you used to be. Remember, you used to be this. That's not you today. And based on that, they were previously facing God's wrath too if they were living like that in the, in, before salvation. We were facing God's wrath in the old life, before Christ. The way we were living was just like that too. And God's wrath was coming upon us. Praise be to God that He saves those that He saves. May you be in that number. Verse 8, but now since things are different now, he says, but now you must put away all, uh, put all this away. Since all this that has been discussed is true, you must put them away. Put what away? Anger and wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, in line to one another. I think he's getting more and more directed to not only just individuals in this, I think a lot of what he, he, he mentions in the first few verses is to the individual, but I think this also is in a corporate um, address in the, in the sense of as a group of believers in a church, local body like this, and you'll see why I think that in a minute. But he's telling us put away anger and wrath Malice, slander, and obscene talk in your mouth and lying to one another. These habits that are listed there do not fit or suit a Christian. They're unbecoming to a believer. Coming from a military background, and maybe you've heard it in different movies sometime about someone getting in trouble for being un- doing something unbecoming of an officer. These things are unbecoming of a Christian. A Christian should not be doing them and should definitely not be known by them. If you're known as a person who has a lot of anger, wow, something is wrong. If you're claiming Christ, that should not be representative of you. Put them away if you are. These are the evidences or works of an unbeliever, the old self. This is what you'd expect the unbeliever to to be like, not the believer. Paul is calling on the Colossian Christians to put on 
the new self, a new way of life or disposition. This was how you used to be. You shouldn't look that way anymore. Their conduct should be in accord to the new position they have in Christ. This new self needs constant renewal or refreshing. Verse 10 says it's being renewed. That's used in the present tense. Still happening. In order to keep it victorious over sin. Paul uses the same idea of continual renewal of being part of the Christian life process in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. This renewal of the old self is in knowledge, we're told. It takes place as a believer comes to a personal, deep knowledge of and fellowship with Christ. That's how we gain that knowledge that we're supposed to be seeking. And the renewal is in the image of its creator. The goal is to make believers more like him. Which is why in the body of Christ there's no racial or economic or societal bounds such as wealth or being poor, being a Jew or Gentile, being slave or free, being a Republican or Democrat. In Christ, distinctions are removed. None of this matters. Only Christ is all and in all. That's all that matters. That's why we need to be more focused on putting off the things of this earth and thinking of the eternal things and spending more time seeking them and doing them. This Christ is all and in all. That's the whole goal. A genuine knowledge of Christ reveals itself in transformed character in Christ's likeness. The aim of believers in all their worthy conduct should be to please Him in every way. To anticipate and do His wishes in every aspect of life. Paul says in Colossians 1 that he and Timothy have not ceased to pray for the Colossae Christians, asking that asking that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God that's how Paul starts his letter with these people that's his prayer for them That should be our prayer for each other and ourselves. Because that's when we'll be representing our Lord the best. But he goes on. Not just putting off these sinful things and stop doing them, but to put on, and this this word would be similar to as this morning when you put clothes on, putting on, in that sense, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. That's given as a command. Paul says similar things to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4 where he says to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And in Galatians 5, in what we know as the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And in the Romans 12 passage we read for the scripture earlier. So put off those bad things, but now he's giving us things that should represent our lives. And while it is good probably individually to have these things on, it affects every relationship that a Christian is involved in. Imagine how peaceful your life would be if you were a person that had compassionate hearts, kind, humble, meek, patience, you loved one another, you didn't have complaints against others, you forgave other people. I don't even know how you can get in trouble with that. I mean, what a, what a great thought. A more peaceful relationship with your spouse. A more peaceful relationship with your kids. A more peaceful relationship with your co-workers and with each other in the body of Christ. And just, it would affect every relationship. Verse 14, and above all these things put on love. And we've heard this before in passages of Paul which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that the greatest of these is love. In our list of virtues, the most important and the most perfect bond that holds everything together in perfect harmony is love. I actually initially was going to write in here It's kind of hard to have some of these other things going on above us if you love somebody. But I I did kind of remind myself that there is times in love that you have to get after somebody because they're doing something wrong. They're doing something in sin. Making mistakes. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And that's why I'm thinking this is also now dealing with a corporate body format. It's not just the individual Christian. He's talking about the, the Colossae Christians as they are together in fellowship. That these should especially be practiced in that environment. The closer a believer is to his Lord, the closer you will grow to your Christian brothers and sister. The more you seek God's face, the more you'll be able to love on that 
Christian brother or sister. This relationship we have in the family of God should be of, in the family of God should be of great importance to us, just as it is to Christ. He died for her. He died for his church. It's important to him. Should it be any less important for us? Should we let things come between us as brothers and sisters in Christ that causes disruption and and dissension among us? Is it really that important that we might harm someone that that, uh, Christ loves? We really need to be more careful. We should be seeking peace with and work to maintain peace among us. And be thankful. What we have is a great gift. Our salvation is a great gift. The fellowship we have with our Savior and among each other is a great gift. Bought with the blood of Christ. We need to be more willing to hold it as precious as he does. We have every reason to be thankful. Which makes it harder to grumble about things. If if you have a thankful heart, you usually aren't going around complaining about things, right? It's total opposite of, of that type of person. Because we're so busy being thankful, we won't worry about complaining about or grumbling about something. And he says, and finally, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful hearts, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, that should cover just about everything, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's our exhortation today. That's why I was saying, if you are not or you haven't contemplated about this lately, about where you're at in your walk with Christ, are you living in a manner that is worthy of your calling? It's something you should be struggling with all the time in the sense of at least looking at and praying about and seeking God's correction on it if it needs to be corrected. The new life that Christians are to put on is one in which the word of Christ dwells richly. We cannot accomplish this in our own strength. If you wake up this mor- tomorrow morning and you go, you know what, that sin I've been dealing with all week last week, I'm going to whip it t- today. And you're thinking you're going to do it on your own. You're probably going to fall even harder than you did last Friday. Because you can't do it on your own. This putting off and putting on, this, this is putting off and putting on. It requires God's strength and help. It requires struggle. It requires a decisive action. 
It requires constant work of refining it and putting things to death and putting things off that we're dealing with. It's constant. A steady diet of God's Word in this is essential. Reading, studying, meditating on it, Bible studies, hearing it being preached, and the application of it in our lives. That's where our strength comes from. Because the Holy Spirit will use the Word that we've been studying and and the things that we've been learning to be able to help conquer the various things we're struggling with. The Word of God is our food. Eat up. Don't go hungry. When the words of Christ becomes a permanent, consistent part of one's life, the fellowship, the teaching and admonishing admonishing each other that is mentioned here, the fellowship, singing and having thankful heart flows out. Because you can't help it. If you're putting off those things and putting on the things he's saying and having these things in place, you'll find yourself not being able to control it. You'll be reaching out to help each other. You'll be seeking to encourage somebody. You'll be seeking to exhort them if they're in sin. You'll be doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. As we conclude this morning, my prayer is that you will consider your walk today in Christ. Are you walking in a manner worthy of your calling? And as I started this out, it's the same thing I reflect upon and struggle with too. I wish I could say you're in good company, but I'm not sure that I'd always put myself in that position. We all struggle with this and we all should be struggling with it. But you need to know that you can be. You can be walking in a manner worthy of your calling. Make decisions, the decision today to begin making the changes that are necessary. Put off the old ways and put on the new. Of course, this isn't possible if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian. You want to not face the wrath of God that is coming. And you're not saved here. I call you to salvation today. If you're a Christian and you're living a defeated, unjoyful life because of sin that you're continually dealing with, repent of your sin today. And start making the changes that, need, that lead to victory. Don't live a defeated life. Seek that, to, seek that to live in a way that glorifies God and enjoy Him forever. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And as the ushers come and pass out the elements for communion, I open up the front up here once the worship team is up, if there's any who would like to come and and pray quietly themselves, you're welcome to do that. Or if you want to come and confess, repent, 
want to seek salvation or you just want to come and pray, you're welcome to do that. I'm here if you would like me to pray with you. You can use the steps here and pray alone or or I'll um, come see you.
get to express weekly here what we've been talking about in some ways in the sense of what did Christ do for us when he died? He freed us from the control of sin. So as we take communion, we can keep remembering him and what he did. It wasn't just remembering that he was a man from God that came and was here. It's God came down. and He lived a holy life. And he died for our sins. He was resurrected. And he's in the right hand of God. And he's coming back someday. And because of all that, we don't have to let sin beat us down when David did by giving in to it. He set us free from our sin. The meal that he was at with his disciples, he says that on the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, or in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God bless you. Have a good week. Remember when you walk out those doors, remember whose child you are. We love you. Hope to see you again next week or maybe at one of the Bible studies this week. Check the calendar. Check the church website if you need addresses or contact numbers for those. Let's uh, close in prayer. We'll dismiss. Father, again, we are needy people. But we have a great God who loves us and wants to see us be successful following your will. But Lord, we know that we need your help in this. Help us to be men and women who desire to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Help us to be men and women who desire to learn more about you and your word and in, in the Bible studies and fellowships that we have available. Help us, Father, as we live in these bodies in this fallen world to be the proper ambassadors and representatives of you that you want us to be. Point out things in our life that we may need to repent of and change. Lord, most of all, we pray and ask that you help and continue the work of sanctification in our lives and make us more and more like our Savior. We love you. We thank you. We worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.